Apple's Worldwide Developer Conference keynote is done, so let's break down the biggest news. I'm Roger Chang, and this is your Daily Charge. Back with me to discuss all things WWDC is our Apple expert, Ian Scherer. So there was a slew of announcements, but the one I want to kind of get to immediately is, is FaceTime, which in my mind, arguably the biggest of announcement where there were a lot of little announcements. Uh, but FaceTime is breaking out of iOS, sort of, right? Talk about this. Yeah, I feel like it's a it's a half measure of breaking out. So what they're doing is that they are making it so that I can join a FaceTime video chat uh, if I'm not an iPhone or iPad owner. And the way that it works is that an iPhone or iPad or Mac owner has to create a link and then make it available to me. So I guess text message or email or whatever. And then I go to a website, which then is able to access my camera and have me be in a FaceTime call. So I can't originate FaceTime calls. I can't set up an iMessage account if I don't have an iPhone, iPad, or Mac. But it's an interesting kind of first step, right? <laughs> and, and it does make it available to people in a way that wasn't before. Yeah, and I think that's, I mean, look, it's you call it a half measure, which... I agree. It's definitely a half measure. It, it's definitely like a lockdown. It's a very Apple way of opening themselves up. But you're right. This does uh, open the possibility of more folks actually jumping on FaceTime. And that's kind of what they need, right? A networking effect. I think we kind of compare it to, to Zoom. Really wish this feature was available last year when we were all really, really locked down and totally you know, dependent on video conferencing programs. Yeah. I, I, I Every time I chatted with someone at Apple over not FaceTime, I would make fun of them for it. And I'd be like, if only <laughs> Apple had a video chat technology that was like end-to-end -end encrypted and easy to use. But I think the reason that they didn't use it was because of this, right? That it's only available on Macs and iPhones and iPads. And uh, despite Apple's best efforts, people use other devices as well. And so I, I think this could be interesting. But you know, part of what I wonder is what the calculation is here, right? Like, does Apple believe that they are going to, um, it, do they believe that enough people are trying to have FaceTime calls and they don't because they're friends on Android? Or is it that they want to give everyone else a taste of it and get them to come on over? Like, I just, I don't fully understand it. And in a world where, You've got WhatsApp and Telegram and ProtonMail and all these other ones and Facebook Messenger have full-fledged web apps. And this is kind of a, I don't know, it's a watered down something or other, right. uh, not having played with it, but still, I, I just, it feels very like an odd decision. So I'm curious what's gonna end up happening up for it, or even if this is like the first step towards something, because originally FaceTime was supposed to be open source. Right. Originally, everyone's supposed to get it. And then only only you and me and everyone who has an iPhone has it. Right. So there's there's a lot we got to get through. So I, I, yeah, sorry. Don't shortchange anyone else. But <laughs> so easy to start. Ranting. We could totally go down the rabbit hole of FaceTime, but we've got to move on. Let's talk about iOS 15. Uh, notifications got a big tweak. Talk about that. I mean, it was not not entirely unexpected. I know there are a lot of rumors that point to it. But what did we get with some of the notifications as well as some of the tweaks to iMessage? Yeah, I you know, I think. All of us are kind of completely 
it just we have this avalanche of messages and notifications that are coming at us all the time. And I certainly have gotten pretty good at trying to control them. So now the new feature that they're going to have, um, I think is really interesting. It's called Focus. And what they're going to do is that they're going to make it so that you can set up essentially situations in which you say, okay, I want my email from work to harass me or I don't, right? And I can set it to say, okay, I'm at home now, don't have work harass me. And so I turn off Slack notifications and I turned off my email notifications and stuff like that. Um, it's interesting, right? For people like you and me who are kind of in these in these worlds where it's constant. I don't know how it's going to actually work in practice, but it's a really nifty idea. And I like that they're trying to solve this. I think the reality is that we live in a world where it's almost impossible to get away from anything. So that's a whole other problem. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the issue is that a lot of this stuff is bled through, especially over the last year with a lot of folks. Really, the work-life balance has been all completely mashed together, right? And so having this idea of like, this will be my work time and this will be my home time or notifications. I think it's a nice idea, but it feels a little bit antiquated at this point, just given that everything has blended together. So what about iMessage? I know there are a handful of tweaks. I was expecting, frankly, a lot more from iMessage, but they did have a bit of an update, right? What did they get? Yeah, I, well, um, you know, I think what was interesting from iMessage was a lot of what we're talking about already, right? This this ability to easily share, this ability to easily interact with people. They made FaceTime um, uh, audio better. They made it so that it's just, it, you know, they, they tried to make it, better in some way, right? It's the same thing, but a little better. And, um, you know, it, I, it's kind of even you can share like a, a URL to someone, a website, and then in the news app, if you use that, um, it'll actually show a list of the URLs you've been sent in messages. And then you can kind of pick it up and read it. And you can even start a message back up from the news app. So again, it's kind of living in this, this Apple world making it all work a little better. But I don't know. I don't know if it's world-changing for a lot of people. Right. I, I, I got the sense that that was sort of the theme of, of today's show. Was like, I got a lot of things that seemed interesting. Some maybe genuinely helpful, but nothing particularly world-changing. Definitely not like from a year ago when we got the... M1 well, it's hard to beat that, right? <laughs> Once in right, every right, plus, so. decade-plus generation change. Yeah. Exactly. Well, one of the topics near and dear to our friend Scott Stein was iPads, and iPads also got uh, a couple of things that folks have been wanting for uh, or asking for, that is widgets on the home screen, which debuted on the iPhone last year, and then more multitasking features, right? Yeah, and the multitasking, I think, could be good. What it is is that one of the problems I've run across with the iPad is that a couple of years ago, Apple came out with this ability for you to have um, an app on uh, two halves of a screen, right? So you could literally, you know, you, right now, like if you use a normal app, you can have like Safari on one side and Notes on the other. Well, you could also have two Notes if you wanted to. Well, tons of developers never took advantage of it. So now the next step Apple seems to be doing is saying, okay, well, we're going to have this thing called a shelf, which I guess is their, the iPad version of the dock, and what will happen is that when you're inside of an app, you can have multiple windows that you can kind of tap between on the shelf. And that's that's a nifty idea. It definitely makes emailing a little easier. I know that is like the biggest pain in the world. But I again, I, I kind of sit here thinking, OK, I'm curious to see how other people use it, 
because reality is, yeah, Apple implemented it in a really nifty way, sure. But so far, it's very clear that a lot of developers just don't have a ton of interest in implementing a lot of these multitasking features into their iPad apps. And it's gotten to a point now where it feels like the iPad is hampered by it. Interesting. Well, hopefully some of these features will encourage developers to take advantage of it and thus give us a bit more of a robust multitasking experience because it's, I agree, it's not great. Um, moving on to macOS, uh, what are some of the highlights? I know there's something called universal control, which just feels like a fancy way to move files from one device to another. <laughs> yeah. So first off, everything we've talked about so far is also on the Mac, right? So part of one of the arguments of like, you know, oh, they didn't announce much for Mac. Well, actually, everything they just talked about for the last hour plus is on the Mac too. So Focus and FaceTime and all that, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, the one thing that's separate from the Mac that was interesting was, uh, as you mentioned, this kind of really interesting idea of being able to take your mouse cursor and your keyboard and go between devices. So let's say I've got my MacBook Pro in front of me and I've got an iPad to my right. If I just kind of move my mouse over to the right further past the screen, it's suddenly on the iPad. Or if I had an iMac on the other end on my left and I moved it all the way to the left, I'd suddenly have it on my iMac. And more than that, I can cut copy paste between them, which you could already do, but now it's a little more intuitive. And I think what's interesting is that Apple very clearly sees that we're all using multiple devices, right? And it's kind of like, if I have an iPad, I mean, I've talked about this before on CNET, I mostly use it for watching movies and TV. I don't really use it for, for work um, unless I'm really pushed to. And so the idea of being able to kind of have the Mac and the iPad work together a little better is definitely, I think, playing into that, okay, we realize that you need more of an opportunity to use it if you want to. Um, the last thing I would bring up about all of this is that Logitech has a feature already built into a lot of their keyboards and mouse called Flow. I use that uh, personally, and I love it. It's the same thing, right? It, it, you go to the edge of the screen, and then it suddenly realizes, oh, you want to go to the other device, and it switches over to your second device or whatever. And it works great. So I'm all for Apple implementing it. I would love it if they built it into Windows too. So that way, because <laughs> every once in a while, Apple does do things for Windows. That way, I could actually use it completely right. instead of relying on Logitech's kind of uh, mushy version of it. But yeah, it, it's a definitely a start. I definitely like how it signals a little bit more of a bridging of these different devices, especially Absolutely. iPad and Mac. Um, we'll see if they build upon this or this is just sort of a feature. It was interesting to watch the demo because it seemed like Craig Federighi was almost gingerly moving the mouse. Like, got to make sure this works. Gotta, this is on video. Well, you sure know, Logitech Flow doesn't always work either. All right, so. there, there you go. Uh, let's talk about Apple Home because Siri is coming to third-party devices for the first time. What's that about? Yeah, um, this is actually like a big deal. And if they'd announced this 10 years ago, I think the world would have turned upside down. So what, they, what they're doing is that essentially uh, any third-party device now can sign up. And what they'll be able to do is send your audio to Siri in your home. So it's not even going to go over the Internet. So instead of having like Siri on the device, which is what my iPhone and my iPad do, it's actually gonna somehow communicate with my Siri capable device and be able to talk to it through that. And that's, that's pretty cool. Um, they showed an Ecobee, although it wasn't labeled. So they sh they're probably the first 
people who would make sense because they're also, they have Alexa already in there. Sorry, I just set off some devices. So, you know, I think it'll be interesting to see how people respond to this and use it. Definitely there's a sense, I think, that while there are the HomePods and those work cool, and I have exactly one friend who has them in his home, <laughs> I think it'll be interesting to see whether having these other devices that are already capable of doing voice assistant stuff, but don't have Siri built into them, but now can, whether they start jumping in as well, or whether Amazon continues to have its stranglehold on the whole world, which is where they are right now. Yeah, when Apple announced at the event that, you know, you could finally have asked Siri to play a certain show, I was like, didn't, don't, don't the other assistants <laughs> already do that? Like, that's great for Siri, but that was, that was probably, that would have been a lot more impressive a couple years ago. Um, definitely a lot to catch up on. I know they talked about Matter, this sort of cross, uh, cross-brand cross alliance of, of smart home devices. Yes, that, it matters. That matters. Ha-ha. <laughs> um, and for the record, by the way, I'm not his friend with the HomePod. <laughs> Just wanted to clear that up in case of any speculation. Uh, moving on to, and we've got to keep moving. Sorry, uh, we're moving on to, to health share and to some of the health, well, health and wellness announcements. The uh, what did you think of that? Because I'm I'm in that period of my life where I am both concerned for my parents' health and for my children's health, and having this app that you know feeds in all this health data seems, at least in theory, to be really helpful, but. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think that Apple really sees an opportunity to do the digital uh, health uh, information in a way that nobody else is really capable of right now. And Google tried to do it years ago, and it completely fell apart. Uh, most of them are all, you know, the, the digital stuff right now is in an app, right? You either have it from your hospital or from your carrier or whatever else. And it's it's really messy. So the idea of Apple being able to aggregate it all together is fantastic. And by the way, they have experience doing this already with the VA. They have an agreement with them for several years now to do this. So making it available now to your friends and family, well, not really your friends. I mean, I guess a couple of them, if they're close, yeah, really, but really your close, family. Yeah. <laughs> but your family is actually really cool. I mean, my, my, my kids, definitely when we go back and forth to the doctors, that's super helpful. Um, I could imagine it also being helpful with parents, although, you know, before my father passed, he hid a lot of his health issues from us. So I wonder whether or not, I mean, Apple does give you the opportunity to control what you share, but I wonder whether those kind of, you know, those types of personality types would not allow a lot of this to happen. So I don't know, it could be cool. I imagine the next generation is going to benefit a lot more from it than those of us who are terrified of our privacy or don't want to share that maybe we're up five pounds this week and we don't want to talk about it. But it's, it's interesting. Absolutely. Uh, Apple Wallet. Also got a bunch of new features. The ability to house a digital state identification as well as really it's getting a lot more. It'll, it will get more useful at, say, hotels and other places. Yeah, I, I actually this is probably what I'm most excited about. Uh, because I have wanted to get rid of my wallet for a long time. And this is that much closer. The fact that we can have a digital ID 
and like it lives on my phone and supposedly secure and encrypted and all that. Fantastic. Amen. Let's do it. Uh, as long as we can trust it, I'm all good. And the TSA is supporting it, which is the best part. Um, I think what's going to be interesting as well is that they're talking a lot more about, for example, your house key, right? Having a digital house key. I don't know about you, but I have a digital lock at home and I do share right now through, um, you know, it's partnered with August. So through the August app, I have friends who have access to my home through that app, right? And they don't have my key code. They have their own special one. I can turn it off at any time. I think being able to do that for the home, being able to do that for cars, I mean, that stuff sounds logical and smart. And I'm glad that Apple's pushing on it because I feel like the promise has been there for a long time, but nobody's really ever gotten it done. And it seems like Apple's finally getting there. Yeah, that's one of the reasons. I mean, so one as as large as as discomfort or disconcertingly large as Apple is, like when when it gets behind a technology, uh, that's one time when like you can be, I guess, grateful for that size because it can it could actually get tech moving in a in a much faster way. When I think the digital car keys are going to be like the thing that they that they get done the most in the next couple of years, because already like you think of your AirTags. And going to Disneyland when any or any of us get to do that again, the idea that I could like find my car by just pulling out my phone and it like directs me with an arrow, like these types of things are already buildable into cars today. And they cost a fraction of what they would cost us to build into it if we bought the technology for our car our own. So this is something logical for, for, for all of the car companies to build in. Some of them are doing it, BMW, for example. So I'm really excited by that. Definitely. I guess lastly, there were some AirPod features, although only available to you if you have AirPod Pros and AirPod Max. What exactly are, are these upgraded features? Yeah, your AirPod Pros and AirPod Maxes are now AirTags, <laughs> so that you can help find them and pinpoint just like you can with the other ones. That's cool. I was waiting for that because I knew they had ultra wideband in them before. I think what also was interesting that they're building in um, uh, uh, the ability for it to act more like a hearing aid. You know, there's a lot of uh, hearing aids out there that really work terribly. And I, I have to say, the thing I probably troubleshoot the most for my family now is hearing aid stuff. So the fact that there is now, um, you know, they're building into the AirPods a better hearing aid system. I'm wondering how far Apple's going to go here, right? Like, are they going to take on the multi-thousand dollar air, uh, air, um, uh, hearing aid world? But in the meantime, it's cool. And then they're also going to be building in a lot of those smart technologies they built for FaceTime, right? So being able to isolate sound and all that stuff, it's good, right? It's, it's what you would expect them to do. And it raises the bar against Samsung and everyone else that they're competing against. So all makes sense. Definitely. Ian, thank you for your time and for running through this marathon session of all these announcements. So we didn't even, we really just scratched the surface. There was a ton announced. Uh, really wanted to try to get to the highlights for you. You can check out all of our WWDC coverage on CNET.com if this was not enough. If you have any questions, hit us up on Twitter at The Daily Charge or sign up for direct text messages from me by heading to CNET.co slash Daily Charge. If you like what you heard, please rate and subscribe to the podcast. It really helps us out. For The Daily Charge, I'm Roger Chang. Thanks for listening.